Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. It's getting crowded in this car. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, expressive arts therapist, your mechanic. And I'm Janice Azevedo, today's hitchhiker, ready for a ride on the Relationship Road Trip. Welcome back to the driver's seat, listeners. Off we go. Today's quote is by Elizabeth Gilbert. To be fully seen by somebody then and be loved anyhow. This is a human offering that can border on miraculous. Okay, so last time we said we'd be talking about parent-child relationships in this arc, but we decided to take an early exit to significant other town. We're going to be talking about marriage in its various structures. We do realize that committed romantic relationships come in a variety of shapes and sizes, but however your committed romantic relationship is expressed, the issues we're discussing should apply in some way. We'll be using language that reflects heteronormative descriptors for ease of communication, but of course, those roles and traits can apply to many different people. The main goal here is to discuss and appreciate the issues people must navigate to be successful in a long, loving life worth celebrating. So let's start with roles. What are we talking about with roles, Don? Like bread? Like biscuits? Rolls? Yes, those are my favorite. Biscuits aren't rolls, Ben. When will you learn this? I know. My wife would be very mad. It's yeast or no yeast. Anyway, what we're talking about here is how we try and get done all of the jobs that need to get done to accomplish your activities of daily living in a relationship, right? You would do this with roommates. You would do it with, if you're a single parent, but specifically when you do it with a romantic partner, how do you figure out who does what when? So there are traditional roles wife as a homemaker and mother, and husband as the main breadwinner. Think 1950s or 1850s. This was a a very traditional way of being in the world. And it worked for some folks when you needed to survive, and that kind of division made more sense. Oftentimes, the complaint here is women feel confined or unfulfilled and certainly unappreciated. Staying at home is a really hard job. Men often complain with these traditional roles of feeling burdened and isolated in the home, like they have to earn all of the money and that carries a heavy weight on their shoulders. So that's the downside. The upside is you get everything done. Contemporary roles, wife can be the breadwinner, husband can be the stay-at-home dad. In this particular case, society is still looking at this format with skepticism. Women can feel that burden of the provider role where you know they're the sole breadwinner. And if they go down, the whole family goes down. And men can feel emasculated and not understood primarily by other men who pick on them for not having a job or earning less than uh, their wife. Can I also add that for the women, there's also the societal narrative that they're being a bad mother by not staying home. So that's an added pressure with that being in the workforce. There's also, I feel, still a lot of pressure on women to maintain the home, even if they're the primary breadwinner. 
Yes. They have a full-time job and they take 95% of all of the home activities. Right. It's unsustainable and devastating in a lot of different ways. That's part of the, also the under unappreciated is how much work it takes to keep your house rolling. The clothes don't fold themselves. Mama, what do you think of all this? What's your preference? Do you like traditional roles or contemporary roles? These are two options, two types of roles. Yeah, they need to be very flexible. And I think in today's world, there has to be some give and take and lots of communication to make a successful family going down the road of life. It comes and goes in seasons. Sure. And just 30 years ago, 40 years ago, there was not very much question about women taking the man's last name rather than keeping their own birth name. It was relatively novel just 40 years ago. And now it's much more common. And what does it mean either way? How are you creating things? Go ahead, Kim. Someone's going to have to have a really amazing last name for me to give up mine. Sorry. <laughs> and is it giving up? And what are you creating? And the meaning is probably as important as the tradition. And it needs to mean whatever it means to the people who are involved. Well, and the tradition is based more on the like historical significance of ownership in marriage, right? Yeah, that's society's meaning of it. Yeah. And I think modern society has started to move away from that. Although it's fascinating to me, I have uh, friends back 40 years ago who decided not to take either name, but to blend the two names to create a family of their own. It's a different approach. Yeah, I know some people like that as well. I keep voting for Ben and Sarah to do that. Nope. We just kept our two separate names. I know. Too bad. Also, the amount of legal changes that you have to go through when you do change your name, whether that's just of your own volition or through marriage, there are so many steps to be made that I have heard from several people in my life that it's just too much effort to bother changing their name and are informally presenting as Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, but the last name is still their maiden name or their birth name. I think 35, 40 years ago, though, most women didn't really think about the idea of keeping their name. It was just this thing that you did. You changed your name because you got married. I think nowadays women are much more conscious of the choice that they're making in terms of whether or not they take their partner's name or whether they keep their name or if they come up with an alternative solution of combining the names. Right here in our own family, you have cousins that have kept their maiden name professionally, but have a married name amongst their friends. So I think women today have a lot more opportunity to be creative about how they want their name to be in the world. Well, so now the cat's out of the bag that we're all a family. Janice is included in the clown car of the Azevedos here, if you didn't catch that earlier. Mama. Yes? <laughs> if you could go back, would you keep your maiden name or would you stick with the Azevedo? Well, I would definitely stick with the Azevedo. And here's my logic behind it. Azevedo starts with an A, not an O. And... It helped me have a lot more confidence, especially when I was in school because I sat up front and was always called on first if the teacher was doing an alphabetical thing. Whereas my maiden name of corner with a K was eh, and ho-hum. So Azevedo gets a lot more attention and I'm 
fine with that. So one of the ways to think about all of this with the different roles is falling into two basic camps. The egalitarian approach, where partners have equal roles and share in the responsibilities of marriage, and complementarian, where partners have different roles in the marriage that complement one another, consciously chosen. These two actually got confused for me as I was thinking more and more about them because any couple that is talking with one another and changing with whatever the difficulties are that their family is facing will shift and take on different tasks in order to make the family as a whole work. And I didn't have a good word for that. And with the complementarian, sometimes that's more rigid, at least what I was reading in the literature, a little bit more rigid in that one person does this set of things and the other person does that set of things, sometimes because they're good at those things, sometimes because that's what's expected based on gender or some other um, set of criteria. An example of that might be whoever cooked the other person cleans. Right. That's the complement of the behaviors that isn't. And that one isn't necessarily based on more traditional gender roles because both people are in the kitchen at different points. And one person might be really good at cooking and the other person, I mean, I guess really good at cleaning. You can Um, be really good at cleaning dishes. Yes. uh, As the one who does the dishes. Now. There's a procedure. (laughs) used to serenade us, but that compliment of recognizing the strength in one person of they're very good or enjoy cooking dinner. And the other person is complimenting that behavior, that skill set by doing the other needed part of that. Right. And then there's me who has to compliment myself. (laughs) You did such a good job. No, that's a different kind of compliment. (laughs) That's the one with the I instead of the E. So in all of these, when, when I was looking at trying to understand how the dynamics of these relationships go, an underlying piece came into the problems and solutions. And that's when money, who earns the most, equals power, which equals decision-making. And in that set, no matter what your, your gender is, if you use your earning um, capacity as a way of controlling the choices that are made by the relationship, that's a downfall almost every single time. It will crumble at some point in time. It's important to differentiate earnings from power, from decision-making in order to create that healthy flowing relationship between the folks in the relationship. Okay. So how do you do that? Well, so we've talked about this a few times in, in our podcast. Ben, respect. you can't guess? <laughs> respect, honor, mutuality, and understanding, all done in the package of communication. And influence, allowing influence. Allowing influence, yeah. It, it, that's important. All of that's important. The idea that both of you are contributing to the growth of your family. And this is a a part where whoever the stay-at-home parent is, one of the things the other parent doesn't recognize is that job actually doesn't have a quitting time, right? So you might quit work at, let's say, traditionally 5 o'clock and come home to have dinner with your spouse and your uh, kids, but your spouse didn't have a quitting time at 5 o'clock. 
it just kept going <laughs> through dinner, through cleanup, through getting the kids ready for bed, through putting them to bed. Their job doesn't stop until they fall asleep. And a lot of people don't appreciate that. Well, you mentioned communication, and I think that probably is the key to having success in figuring out and navigating how do we do this life together. And I think the other part too is that we all need to be a little bit like an investigator to really know yourself and what your baggage is that you bring to the relationship. What's your prior experience? What did you grow up with in terms of role models or thinking about navigating life has to do with your age and sometimes your gender. And sometimes it has to do with being able to have a joint vision for your relationship and being committed to that. Because it's during the times of struggle that if you have all of those pieces in place and it's solid during a time of struggle, you just keep navigating through it together. And that helps kind of ease the, the angst. I know you and I have gone... Uh, through seasons with the kids growing up of soccer season, ballet, and trick-or-treating. And for me professionally, I work as a preschool special ed teacher, and we joke about having IEP season because in the spring, I was not nearly as available or able to do the things that I was doing to support the family. So it has to be a fluid, flowing communication system that keeps every family floating, moving forward. Yeah. You don't just set some of these roles and then forget about them. You have to revisit it. Got to revisit. <laughs> Which sounds like a theme from across all of our episodes about couples and relationships is you have to revisit and check up with each other. Things change and we don't always communicate well with each other when they do. I have said this many times to a lot of people. You don't get married on your wedding day. You get married every day. You know, if we keep telling people that these are all recurring themes on our podcast, they're going to stop listening. <laughs> we, like, you yeah, know why okay, they're recurring themes? They're recurring themes because trust. people don't learn. You say that, Ben, and yet people show up to Dr. Don's office and my office every week, where I guarantee you, we say the same things. Well, maybe they're not listening to the podcast. Maybe the podcast <laughs> would be the key that fixes everything. I Fair hope enough. so. I hope so. All right. Don... In your list of things there, respect, honor, mutuality, and understanding, what is mutuality? I know what respect and honor are. I think I understand understanding, but I want to make sure that we have a mutual understanding of mutuality. When you cho choose to join your lives, right, everything you create from that moment requires both of you for it to come to fruition. So I got a PhD, but I couldn't have gotten that PhD without Janice doing all of the things that she did to support me and uplift me to get that done. All the businesses I've ever created, I could not have created without the foundation that Janice laid for our family as a whole. That let me experiment with building strange things and getting them off the ground and doing cool stuff. It's the understanding that it takes both of us to do this. Both of us raised the two of you. Neither of us can claim 
the mistakes made, no, the successes or any part of that. If it wasn't for the two of us together, that mutuality, what we have made could not exist. All right. That makes sense. Janice, you got any thoughts on mutuality and joint creation? Yeah. Again, I I go back to knowing yourself and knowing your partner and, and what are your strengths. And in terms of parenting, like you can have strengths in terms of organizing a family versus strengths in creating beautiful meals for the family. It, and you complement each other. So that way you move the family forward and keeping everything going at the same time. And I give an example of Don is a great chef and cook and I am a equally great sous chef and cleaner upper. <laughs> and when we would have company, he's really good at creating a recipe, creating the menu, knowing the timing of when things are going in the oven and out of the oven. I'm not good at that. That would stress me out. But I am good at cleaning up and making sure that the kitchen's ready for the next thing that he's going to create. So those are ways in which we complement each other in terms of, say, entertaining company or friends and family. You do those kinds of things where you complement each other in raising children, in running your household, making decisions, things like that. We even used to have a a $50 check-in with each other because money was tight and $50 was a big deal. And we would check in with each other every time we would have to spend more than $50 to make sure that we had common goals where our money was going and is this on track? And we would check in with each other. That's just another way of mutually sharing the same vision and moving forward and growing the relationship. I think there's also an important dynamic in being able to support the other person and like the tap out. So I, I recognize, and we've talked about it a lot, that I was a terror child. And I know for a fact there were times where mama had to tap out and was like, I can't parent her right now. (laughs) And papa tapped in. And that fits into this mutuality, right? Our joint goal and how do we support each other in getting there? And you definitely supported each other through my terror years. I mean, they're still happening, but just less frequent. So, Nah, you're a sweetheart now. (laughs) That's excessive. All right, Kim, it's your time to shine. Yeah. How does all of what we're talking about so far differ in non-heteronormative relationships? Well, I really think the coolest thing is that there isn't a lot of difference. I mean, there's terminology difference, obviously, but the concept of who does this and who does that, who is... Working who is not working, if that is the dynamic, or if we're both working, what does that look like? A lot of this all just fits into that leader follow dynamic. There are still power differentials. So, I mean, if you have the person who's working and the person who's not, there's that financial power difference. There's also a free time power difference. Someone's locked up at doing all of this stuff nine to five during the week, and this other person has significantly more flexible schedule, right? Different responsibilities fall across that. Things tend to be based more on personalized success. So we're talking about who's better at cooking versus who's not. It's not the gendered 
the female cooks, the male doesn't. Eats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sits on the couch. We're doing like hunter gatherer here. But it fits more into who's naturally more inclined to doing these things, who's not, and then filling in the gaps. There's uh, obviously going to be communication around it, but with LGBT community folks, with polyamorous folks, it's all communication between the partners on how do we achieve the lifestyle that we want. There are additional pressures that come with LGBT community folks that come with the polyamorous folks. And a lot of that fits in with this as far as trying to figure out how to be strong for the public and then strong in private too. And it it can get exhausting and overwhelming. And that's where that sense of mutuality and honor of each other comes in. That's got to be really strong in the relationship to kind of keep everything going. There are a lot of challenges. I mean, we addressed this all at the beginning where the language around relationships is heteronormative. You've got the husband and the wife And it's one of the most annoying questions that anyone in a queer relationship has. Well, who wears the pants in the relationship? (laughs) Well, in fact, we both wear dresses. Thank you. So navigating that and having to talk with your partner about, well, what do we want to do when people approach us inappropriately in public to ask us questions about our home life that have no business in this conversation? How do we present as a united front. Those are more of the challenges that are seen, or at least that I have seen in my office, from queer and polyamorous couples than the who's doing the dishes and who's cooking. Hmm. So in my experience, I've seen it's layered on top of, because they also have the who's doing the dishes and that kind of stuff, but it's layered on top of the, the fact that they have to deal with a community that doesn't understand them, that doesn't want to understand them at times, that won't accept them, where they can't get benefits that would be given normally to uh, heteronormative couples. And that gets compounded when they don't have family acceptance and their own biological family hasn't incorporated their pairing into the larger family. All of those are additional stressors and bounds for all those folks. And I think part of what I'm what I was sharing is like by the time they're in my office, it's less focused on who's doing the dishes and more of like we're existing together and it's so stressful that it's becoming painful to exist together, which hurts my soul. But all of it boils down to communication, talking with your partner about how do we create this life. How do we collaborate? How do we allow influence? How do we let each other know that we're overwhelmed, we're carrying too much, being okay, being vulnerable with each other? Yeah. And we're going to talk some more about that in our next episode. All righty. So welcome to Significant Other Town, land of mutuality. We know you've heard it here a million times. It really comes down to trust, communication, and respect every time. Thank you, Janice, for being our hitchhiker this episode and sharing some insight on your own relationship with Don. We're going to stay on this subject for the next few episodes, and next week we're going to talk about balancing work and home life and a relationship. Fun times. Thank you, as always, for listening, and until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think. 
So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Mm-hmm.